You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. Well, it was another successful and entertaining year speaking with a wide variety of guests on Equestrian B2B. We're going to take a look back with us as we revisit our top 10 moments. Our first clip comes from episode 38 with trademark lawyer Jessica Eves Matthews. We learned so much from her and this was one of the best tips that she gave us and our listeners. With trademark, we're trying to create a brand generally, um, and this is what I help people do, that is not going to be confused with any other brands. That's kind of the main consideration. Is you, What you don't want is you don't want your brand to be weak so that other people confuse your brand with another and they might accidentally buy from someone else thinking they're buying from you. So yeah. the key is building something that is unique, um, as unique as possible. So that's why, you know, like Starbucks, totally strong brand name. And I think the thing that um, that people don't understand is often uh, I hear entrepreneurs advising each other about how to pick a brand name. The worst thing you could do is pick a name that describes what you do. If it describes what you do, it's likely not going to be something you can trademark because other businesses are going to end up using that phrase probably just in the course of their copy on their website or their marketing materials. They're not meaning to infringe upon your mark. And so the trademark office is probably not going to give you a trademark in that because it would really restrain other people from using what is really, you know, a phrase or a buzz phrase in the industry. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you, Starbucks is great because you can't tell from the name what it is. You can't tell that that's a coffee company. Um, so that's great. Uh, and it, you know, they chose the name based on a character in, uh, Moby Dick. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, and it's just totally memorable, right? Like you, you would never confuse Starbucks with any other brand. So that's what makes a really strong brand name. Jessica had so much incredible information in that whole episode, but that one I really liked because she she could give examples for everything that she was talking about, and Starbucks was the perfect example there. Yeah, I really wish I'd listened to that recently because I'm working on a project where I totally could have used that advice and I forgot about it. So um, I really, it, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, she had really great tips and I enjoyed listening to her and and how like brilliant she is. I oh, love that. So smart. <laughs> yeah. So our next guest was episode 40, Lori Bernbach. Uh, she's a marketing and branding expert that I had met and she just gave us some really good advice. So this is the clip that we picked out from her. And are there principles uh, from a large corporate strategy that can be applied to small businesses? Absolutely. So I would say the number one thing is to not try to be all things to all people. Mm. Decide who you are, what your objectives are, and have that be your North Star. Yeah. We look at it as like casting a net versus having a magnet. So you want to create the magnet that you're going to draw business and people to you versus going out and casting a net and trying to just find whatever you can find 
out in the field or the water or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that is very applicable. And again, from a corporate perspective, you're obviously going to have, or from a large corporation, you're going to have different brands. They're going to have the different, the different magnets. Um, yeah. But in a smaller business for, I mean, for example, a, a stable, you could have a training barn that you have the A circuit show people versus your beginner lesson program. You're obviously going to have a slightly different marketing strategy to those two different groups. Mm-hmm. Again, you need to pick who you are, be confident in it, um, and create a magnet that will draw those people to you. You're always going to get a broader group than what your core target is, but that's okay when you're attracting that to you. That's not necessarily okay if you're going out and trying to grasp at every single piece of business that you can get. Mm-hmm. That will fragment your resources, I think, and your focus too much. I really loved Lori. She had so much more to offer in that episode than the just the short clip that we shared. But she she did some branding stuff. If you guys want to hear about Tommy Bahama, she had a clip of there's a clip in there about that, um, that brand and how it evolved. And after this particular episode, we ended up having her come to the networking brunch last year and she did an amazing branding. Uh, exercise with everybody. So um, I just think she's got some really great information and um, ideas for everybody. And I also liked that we were able to apply those theories to different types of businesses in the equestrian industry. Um, I remember talking about, you know, uh, bigger, you know, a show barns, directing lesson kids to uh, you know another local barn whereas the lesson barn if they have kids that have gone up through their program and are kind of at the limit of what they teach they could pass them along to the a show barn type of thing um and you know she really talked about knowing your who you are and what you want to provide and i just I really liked reinforcing that message. Yeah. And I also like that she was able to apply it to all sorts of businesses, right? So Mm -hmm. she was able to take that um, corporate experience that she's had and break it down and make it applicable to the equine industry, not just in business, but also to barns, um, which I think is very helpful when we have people that can do that. Our next guest was Dr. Emily Urban Cordero. That's a little bit of an update. She was in episode 42. And after that, she went on to finish her doctorate at Cornell. And she had uh, some really great insight for young people. And this is the clip that we picked for her. And what do you think um, you kind of learned from doing that work in different parts of the country? Well, Uh, the world, I should say. (laughs) Sure, sure. You know what? The biggest thing for me was this whole new sense of gratitude. Mm -hmm. We are so fortunate to have have so much. And and I think particularly in days where I'm just very frustrated that, you know, thinking bringing it back to the horse world, that, that ride didn't go well or dealing with lameness issues. I mean, it just weighs so heavy. But I think having all these other life experiences or these other international global type experiences shows us 
showed me just how lucky I am to to interact with horses and horse people in any capacity. That is, of course, you. a lot of us always want to do a bit more. And sometimes we're financially a little stuck to do more, whatever that might be. But being so grateful that we, most of us do have a, the stability of our meal, our housing, um, if horses are in our life um, generally. And so I think for me, it was that whole sense of gratitude. The other thing, when I've spent time abroad and in different areas of the world and and, um, these agricultural projects and whatever, I have met some great business people. Mm. And I love, this brings it back to the podcast, I love thinking about business and have such an appreciation for, for people who do their business well. I've spent some time, I spent quite a bit of time with, in one of the projects, it was co-funded by a former CEO of, of one of the largest food companies in the U.S., even globally. Um, just learned incredible amount of, of business advice and wisdom from him. But then I've also seen some incredible business people, whether it's the taxi guy and his company picking up people from Kigali Airport at Rwanda, in Rwanda, or just the restaurants that have meal meal trucks that have just really figured it out business-wise. And business, I kind of think of like, I think of it from both the finance side and the relationship side. Um, and I think I really, I just, that's my, that's my little side hobby. I love I love figuring out and learning about people's businesses, no matter what um, sec- sector they're in. So I really like Emily. She hit on one of, of the most important things to me is gratitude. Um, I think that it's really great that she was able to share her experience overseas. And that's what kind of uh, she took away from being overseas. I hope that she inspires some young people to maybe look outside of this country and find some opportunities in other places. And then the second thing that is very near and dear to me is her talking about business because Mm. I love to think about business and, and startups and corporations. And, and so, you know, she was right bringing it back to the podcast. Like, yeah, the the business part was so interesting and that she got to learn so much from other countries. Yeah. And I think, it was really great to get to know her better when she came to the Saratoga Women in Business show. Um, and, you know, like we got to hang out with her during the day. We went out to dinner and had a group and she and her husband and her daughter were a part of it. And um, I just think she's a great person who has so much wisdom to share you know, even though she's not very old, like, I feel like mm-hmm. she's one of those people that has been mature since she was born. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so smart, like, you know, all of her work in agricultural science and, and she has so much going on that she balances. That was part of what we talked to yeah. her about was her dual careers. And, um, yeah, I think people could, get a lot out of this episode and what she talked about and um, you know, what she continues to do with her work. Yeah. That, that balance that she's created, she's very innovative. She's got great social media going. And I think that, you know, she's, she's um, definitely contributing to the equine industry and agriculture as a whole. 
Our next clip comes from episode 45 with Chloe Phillips Harris, who is from New Zealand. And she does guided tours um, in Mongolia, in New Zealand, um, all sorts of different animals. And we just had so much fun talking to her. So we hope you enjoy this clip. I had this background in working with wild horses and training horses and horsemanship and eventing. And I was, I saw a YouTube video of it as you do one day. And it was like a people like trying to clamber aboard these rearing, bucking, bolting horses in the middle of Mongolia. And I'm like, that looks great. That looks exactly like something I would like to do. Like as soon as I said, <laughs> like, yes, this is for me. Um, yeah. Fast horses, no fences, wide open spaces and a way to test yourself. Like I just ticked every single box of what I wanted to do at the time. You and I oh are very God. different people, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I, I mean, in, in theory, it sounds good to me, but there's no way I would have actually do it. Yeah. I mean, maybe like 25 years ago, I would have done that. Still, though, it might have been a, a stretch. I'm not I'm not a camper. I'm not a horse who likes or a rider who likes to be on bucking horses. So, yeah, I, uh, it's incredible. So, so with the dirt, with the derby, do they, um, are they broke horses or they're unbroke horses? They are broken in, but they're, they're, I, I think, um, you know, like there's, there's so many myths and legends and, and things surrounding the Mongo Derby these days, but no, they, they are broken in horses, but they're, they're broken in for Mongolian riders and, um, you know, that they are all pre-selected, um, about six weeks, eight or two months before the race and in theory put into a training program for, for the Mongo, Mongo Derby. But I mean, there's still horsemanship involved and they've not seen people turn up in this brightly colored, different gear. The saddles are different. The packs are different. Um, some people are not used to, you know, the Mongolians, they step up, they get in the saddle and they go. A lot of the, um, you know, riders from our world kind of fluff around next to the horse, slowly climb aboard. And yeah, the Mongol horses, like th that's not how they do things. So <laughs> it always leads to lots of wild moments. I just admire people like Chloe so much. I, I like, can't stop laughing after listening to the clip. I could she, never, ever. No. Like, it's just bonkers to me. And it's like people who think they're going to like drive a boat around the world like what no i or or like get on a cruise ship for nine months or like swim from cuba to florida i don't know yeah. i it's just not part of who i am but i love hearing from people that are like that right and she had so many cool stories and you know it's one thing to like go and ride in the Mongol Derby. It's quite another to do it and then be like, you know what? I'm going to start a business and I'm going to make this experience special for people and everything that she does for those trips. Like, okay, there's the Mongolian horses one. There's um, like a camel ride yeah. in the, um, there are yaks, right? Wasn't yaks. It yaks? <laughs> Riding yaks, like yeah. in the, win in the winter of Mongolia. No. And, I, yeah, she's got such a cool business together that perfectly blends her passions and, um, and a career. And, you know, other than that, like she's still retraining wild horses in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, 
she's mini, still a high level pony. eventing rider yeah she was like putting together a race with mini horses yeah like as like guide animals on this race i don't know it was the one of the most fun episodes we've ever had and i just yeah. loved talking to her um and i really urge people to go back and listen to it because there's so many like great things in that episode. Yeah. And you know what? This is like a perfect example of just putting yourself out there and networking because I was at um, a big trade show and she was there in a booth across from my husband's company. And I was like reading her signs and I was like, oh, she might be an interesting person for us to like connect with. And I just walked up and introduced myself and told her what we did and asked her if she wanted to be on. And it took us a while to get with her because she's so far away in the time difference. But man, that was super fun. I really enjoyed it. And I'm, I encourage people to just put yourself out there because you never know where it's going to lead. And I'm hoping that someday you and I get to go over there and run with these mini horses. <laughs> I know it's been my dream for a long time to go to New Zealand. So we'll make that happen yeah, sometime. For sure. <laughs> Our next clip comes from episode 48 with Carrie Sarabella of Snacks Fifth Avenue. It's a company that makes dog and horse treats. And we had a lot of fun talking to Carrie. She's like a true blue New Yorker that now lives in Florida. And we just loved the way she looked at running a business, being a leader, and how she grew her business. So I hope you enjoy this clip. When did you kind of like how far into owning from starting the company were you like, ooh, we need to expand? Like, did you move facilities or was it a matter of hiring people? No, I actually worked out of my apartment for a long time. I mean, I'm talking like a long time. The breakers would go out in my apartment. I would have to keep it secret from my landlord and I would, you know, (laughs) like dinner. I'm like, Oh, my parents are here. Like we're cooking. My parents live in New York, like, and I'm in Florida, but he doesn't know. So I just kept, I just kept blowing the breaker and it was like oven (laughs) after after oven, my oven. I didn't even report it to him. Um, I wound up breaking my oven (laughs) and (laughs) like an elect it was like electrical pad so it was like a touch pad not like so it burnt out because i was well using it so much i like had this i had it all planned out i was like i'm gonna wait until thanksgiving so that i can tell him i was cooking a turkey and the oven gave out because it was on for 24 hours trying to cook a turkey obviously this was my not my idea because i don't cook but my mom like you have to tell him you were like cooking a turkey and I'm like oh my god like this so we came up with this whole plan and <laughs> then I started buying like little convection ovens that were like probably like 18 inches and I had them just anywhere I could fit them and then like I even had one on my balcony at the time <laughs> it was crazy and I had employees coming to my apartment. So I used to be, I used to tell my front desk that they, they were friends and I made a deal with the guy in receiving. That way I can constantly bring my package down there, packages down there and do pickups. Like it was crazy. If I thought about doing it now, I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, sometimes you hear stories of what people have done in order to be successful. And it really, 
blows my mind of, you know, what people will do and for how long they'll do it in order to make something work. And I mean, it was obviously working for Carrie, like her business was growing by leaps and bounds, but the, you know, in the beginning, the only way she could do that was to like literally cook everything out of her tiny apartment in Florida. Like I just, I, she only recently moved into a proper warehouse with like a proper big kitchen and with employees. Um, so I just really admired her story and how much she put into it. You know, she came from a medical background and veterinary medicine background and to, you know, have a seven figure business in making cookies is really admirable. And the way she's marketed herself um, and the obvious joy and care she puts into it uh, was really cool to talk to her about. I loved her stories. And also, can I just mention, I sound a lot less New York when Mm -hmm. we're talking to her, which I appreciate. (laughs) Yeah. Because everybody thinks I have a New York accent until I'm like near Carrie. Yeah. (laughs) So, So that was good. But yeah, she had us laughing the whole episode. There were so many funny parts. She's a great storyteller. And Mm -hmm. I, I also appreciate how she started and, you know, just pursued you know, I mean, there were other challenges that she faced and she pushed through and she was determined and she saw what she wanted in front of her and she just kept going for it. So I like really, I love stories like that and people like that. They're such an inspiration. The next clip that we have comes from Annie Finch of Catherine Girl Cosmetics in episode 50. Uh, I think Annie has a great story about how she got started um, and she was in one direction and pivoted into doing something different that she's super passionate about. And I enjoy how passionate she is. And this clip is a little bit about how she got started. I went and I always loved makeup since I was a kid. Like I had every color eyeshadow that was made at our local pharmacy. And, you know, I was obsessed with all the color and lipstick and everything. And so I went in and said, Oh, I should sell makeup. And they were like, do you have experience? And I said, well, no. Um, And they go, oh, well, then you can't have that job. And I said, well, you haven't even interviewed me. So if you want to interview me and tell me I'm no good, not good at this, that's fine. But I, you know, you at least need to interview me. And she was like, oh my gosh, you're annoying. Of course. Okay. I'll interview you. (laughs) And I'll tell you, you can't have the job. Um, But it's kind of an interesting story because she said, you know, we have this program where you can be a floater where we need help. So every day you come in, you're going to look in this red book and you're going to see, you know, what department you work in. So every day I came in that I was supposed to work and I looked in the red book and my name wasn't in it. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to write my name in it and I'm going to write cosmetics. And then I went down to cosmetics and I was like, I'm here to work today. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, the ladies were so nice. They're like, we just got an order in. Why don't you unpack stock? So I unpacked boxes and then I finally got to sell makeup. And I, they were like, why don't you just work in the makeup department? I was like, I'm trying to. Then when I graduated, I was like, mom, this makeup world is so fun. I think I'll just sell makeup. And she was like, whatever makes you happy is the most important thing. 
So I really got to experience putting makeup on people and seeing how it changes their life, you know, just how they feel about themselves. And it was every day I had stories about customers and people and it was really, really amazing. So I was like, this is, this is a good path for me. I love how Annie advocated for herself. That was like a huge lesson I took away from it. I'm such a rule follower that I probably would never do something like that. It it always impresses me, the people who do that, who just, you know, she just did it, wrote her name in a book, whatever it took to to do what she wanted to do. And I feel like even, even making somebody sit down and listen to you, um, it's so hard for everybody to do. And she just, did it so easily. And I really appreciated that about her. And you know what it reminded me of? Um, So I listened to a podcast with Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx. Mm -hmm. And when she first started, she couldn't get her product into department stores. So she made up like um, a counter display of her product. And she just like went into department stores and was like, oh, hi, I'm here to put this um, up. And no one questioned her. So she just put them up there. Yeah, And like, that was how she was able to, and people, you know, would be really interested and like it and bring it to buy. And that was how she got interest in her products. And, you know, the, the, courage it takes to do something like that is huge and I I felt like Annie was the same way and what I really also loved about her career path is you know she went from you know doing makeup and like stocking rooms and all the way to vice president at Estee Lauder and but she said that everywhere she went along the way she learned different aspects of the company. Yeah. Um, And I loved that advice because, you know, you want to be good at what you do, but if you're really going to be an asset and you're going to, you want people to look at you to, you know, step up and take a leadership role or, you know, you might find that you love different aspects of the business you're in rather than the job you have. Uh, within that business and she was able to really take that and she did different roles and moved around the country for it and then ended up in New York City and you know was able to launch like huge beauty brands um, because she had so much experience in different parts of the corporation. Yeah. And I think when you have that kind of experience, it gives you more of like a 30,000 foot view of a business instead of being right on top of it. Like if you only know what's going on in your department, I think a lot of times that that kind of puts you at a disadvantage to look at the whole business and maybe make decisions that you you know, you wouldn't make because you don't know what's going on. I, I I think that a lot of times in these big corporations, I see it where um, the marketing departments are not necessarily in tune with what the salespeople are doing or what's going out, going on out in the field. They know what their job is, but they don't know, uh, for example, the horse industry. They just know marketing. So they mm-hmm. don't know what the culture is and how to do it. So I do think that if you could slide around in different positions, that makes you a much stronger person to contribute to a company. 
The Equestrian Businesswomen Networking Brunch is back in Wellington for 2024 on January 21st. Bigger and better than ever, attendees can expect a keynote speaker, a panel discussion with experts in the industry, and more ways to learn about yourself, your business, and how other equestrian businesswomen can become your support group. The EQBW Networking Brunch offers a unique opportunity for equestrian businesswomen from any type of business to meet, mingle, talk, and listen with incredible brunch food, champagne, and an ice cream bar. Mark your calendar and join us on January 21st, 2024. Buy your ticket today at eqbusinesswomen.com. In episode 53 with Dr. Charlotte Lacroix, we talked about negotiating and negotiating styles. And she gave us so much information about, you know, how negotiations happen, the different styles there are, and how you can find out more about yourself and who you're dealing with to make a positive outcome. And I can't overemphasize how much this is all about psychology and communication style. And the key to negotiation is recognizing your negotiation style, recognizing what negotiation style is best suited for the particular set of circumstances, and recognizing the negotiation style with whom you're negotiating. And when we deal with distributive negotiation, that tends to be a more competitive negotiation because the relationship isn't important. So you're really competing over a commodity. So, you know, you're negotiating the purchase of a television or you're negotiating the purchase of a cell phone contract or a credit card, or, you know, to the extent that you can negotiate, um, you know, and it's also tied in with supply and demand, you know, at basic economics is that um, if there are more to choose from, you're in a better position than if there's only one to choose from where you have zero leverage, right? Because if you want this particular thing, only one vendor that's going to provide it. And so that's the other important thing to understand is how much leverage do you have? Meaning how many other options do you have? Do you have zero options or do you have multiple options? The more options mm -hmm. you have, the more, the more leverage you have. So for example, if I'm negotiating to buy a television, I can tell them, look, you know, you need to give me a better price here or else I'm going to go someplace else. Right. And if they know you can go someplace else very readily. And in fact, if you've done your homework and you've gotten cheaper other places, but you just like this place, maybe because it's closer or they have the better brand or whatever it is, um, you know, you might get them to move to where you want it. But there you're competitive. Right. You're not. The relationship doesn't matter when we're dealing with integrative the relationship matters. So you have to be careful about being too competitive in your negotiations because you don't want to leave a bad taste in their mouth. Because if you need them in the future and the circumstances may be different, like you need them more than they need you, then they won't be as nice to you either. And so it will matter. So that's the really hard part is when you negotiate, if it's integrative, be cognizant of, okay, after we negotiate this thing, what's going to be important in the future? So this deals with employment relationships, right? It mm. deals with landlord-tenant relationships. So if you really want to push your landlord hard, and let's say your landlord's been looking for six months for some for somebody to fill the you know the apartment and they haven't, and you know that, and you really grill them down, you know, you get the cheapest rate, and you can see that 
you've pushed them. And this is where you, know, you have to pay attention how people react, which is why negotiation in person is the best way to negotiate because you see how people, you see body language, you see how they respond. The next best thing is via the telephone because people will respond. The worst way to negotiate is via emails because it's a linear communication um, and you don't have the human connection. Now, if you have all the leverage, then you can negotiate email, right? Because you say, here's the deal, take it or leave it. I don't care. Don't need to get to know you. This is it, right? Um, But when you are dealing with distributed negotiation, the relationship does matter. And you should also look at, does the relationship matter to the other person? Because maybe Mm. it's distributive to you, but not so distributive to them. Right. Profiling the negotiation, figuring out what's involved, the pieces, the players, the type is preparing, basically. That is really, really important, which we're reluctant to do because we're in such a hurry to get it over with because it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, that's so true. I think Charlotte really put it out there that you have to face what is uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. especially in negotiation. I think most people don't like negotiating, especially when it's integrative and it deals with a relationship with someone like an employer or an employee uh, relationship. And um, her emphasis on the psychology of it and looking at who holds the leverage, um, you know, knowing what you want to get out of it, knowing what is your breaking point <laughs> where you mm-hmm. say, no, I'm done. All of that that she talked about in that episode um, was so important. And I just felt like it was one of the most valuable episodes that we did. I agree. It was so important. And I mean, even even talking about negotiating makes me uncomfortable. So I'm glad we went through it with her and she gave us so many good tips. And she also is another very brilliant person who was a veterinarian mm-hmm. first and then she became a lawyer and she's an advocate for people in the equine industry. And just, um, I just, it always fascinates me. I enjoy being around really smart people because I feel like they bring me up to the next level. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, oh man, am I leveling up finally? <laughs> but I, I did. I really enjoyed that episode. There was, I mean, I've had to listen to it a couple of times because there's just, it's so deep. There's so much to, to get out of it um, that I've really enjoyed re-listening to it several times because it's, it's pushed me to be better. Right. And that's only in an hour episode. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, you know, I think, you know, she does seminars and, and speaking yeah. engagements and things like that, um, workshops, that sort of thing. I think it would be really valuable uh, to work with someone like her or with her directly to be able to improve that part of who you are. And because, you know, there's so many negotiations that we go through day to day. It's not always like big, you know, salary negotiations or something like that. Um, we use it in every day, whether it's with your family or myself <laughs> negotiating. Do I want to go to the gym? Do I want to eat that cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I just, I really thought it was a, a useful and great episode. Definitely useful and great. 
Our next clip comes from episode 56 with Lauren Tritton. She is a standard bred horse trainer, a mom, and she had moved her business internationally. She's somebody that I know. She's um, a real go-getter and her stories uh, were fascinating. And I really think that there was a lot to be learned from her. And this is just a short clip of some of the stuff she had to say. Do you have any regrets of leaving school? Yes and no. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't very intelligent at school. Um, I feel like I, the horses, um, I had a really bit of a rough, rough childhood. Um, My parents, my parents separated and I went to the horses for comfort. Mm -hmm. And because I wasn't intelligent, I kind of got um, pushed to the side a lot. And I feel like the horses were my happy place and that's where I wanted to be. So school was zo- school was just zoned out for me. Um, yeah. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be at the barn, but I do not suggest leaving school because I was just lucky that I was good at something because if I wasn't, it would be a lot different. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the school environment isn't for everyone. Not everyone can learn in that sort of structure. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, I think the intelligence is there. It was just the, <laughs> the way they wanted you to learn. Didn't yeah. For you, probably. No, it didn't. And I mean, I, I, I probably didn't try very hard either because I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that wasn't at school. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely. If, I'm just very lucky that things fell the way they fell because I would be working some really crazy job right now trying to earn money. You know, it's just right. you know, yeah. got to be very careful that way. Yeah, but I think you also worked very hard for it as well. Yeah, you know, for sure. You it sounds like away it. from yourself. <laughs> I, did, I did. I did work very hard, and uh, I mean, I see a lot of young kids that don't work hard and just think that everything falls on a nice silver. Sp- a platter with a nice silver spoon sitting on the end of it. It does not work that way. <laughs> yeah, especially with horses. I mean, yeah. I think you get out what you put into it with Absolutely. them. Yeah. And, you know, everybody else has to work so hard. You know, it's it's a 24-7 job, really, if you're taking care of them and and competing. And it's just so... It's based on, you know, the hours that you can put into Absolutely. it, really. I raced yesterday at Tioga and I left home on Friday morning at 10 o'clock and I got home at 11 p.m. last night. So yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a full time. There's no, yeah. there's no, it's app. a life. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a yeah. lifestyle. Like you, you live and breathe it. It's a life. It's your lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I giggle to myself when we have staff come and they're like, what are the hours? Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren opened up to us so much during the entire episode that like it was really she was really one of our most candid guests I think of the year where she really dove into who she was and where she came from and and I just really appreciated that she was so authentic and real for us um, and wasn't staged and I think she works extremely hard and she moved all the way across the world basically to come right. to the US with her family and she just had some really good insight into all of that and it was just really cool to see where she came from 
you know, she, like you said, she was really honest about what she went through and how she was able to become so successful in Australia. And then for her to, and her husband to be like, you know what, we've kind of reached, we've done what we want to do here and we need to look at something else and not staying complacent um, is, and she took a huge leap. Like they didn't know what would happen when they got to the U S they came, they didn't bring any employees. They went from some like huge number of horses in Australia was over a hundred. Yeah. Over a hundred. Yeah. And they only brought 10 horses with them. Mm -hmm. They moved from a warm, sunny year round climate in Australia to New York where you know, we talked about the water buckets freezing. They had to, you know, adjust to that. They had to adjust to all the different rules, um, not only of their sport in the U.S., but of life in the U.S. Yeah. And how different it is moving to another country. Um, I don't know. It was it was really amazing to see. And then from that, you know, they grew, they got more clients, they have more horses now. She was, she's still driving. She became the first woman to win the Battle of Lake Erie. Like it was, I don't, it was really, um, it meant a lot to hear her story and to see that she was able to have that success. Yeah, and she's actually doing something really cool now. Um, they bought a gray filly in, at one of the sales, and they're selling off shares. And I, I don't know if they have any shares left, but I feel like if this is something that's successful, um, that if there's anybody out there who wants to own a little piece of a racehorse, I think they were selling them um, like 20 different shares in the horse. Um, it's a cheap way to get in to, you know, be invested in it and try it out and, and be part of it. Um, they do a lot of syndicates in the thoroughbred racing. And I think that this is like a, a new kind of avenue to get some more owners in the barn. And so it's all women that are in the syndicate. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was really, really cool. And, um, you know, so listen to her episode and then look her up if you, anybody's interested. For sure. And I think, that just goes to show like what she talked about in the episode of growing the sport and what it means to her um, to, to support her sport in the U S and be able to um, have more people enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. She's very passionate about her sport. And I, I really like that about her. I mean, also because I'm a standard bride girl, but you know, um, anybody who's so passionate about a sport who wants to support it, who wants to, to share their knowledge and open themselves up. And she does, you know, she shares that with people. She's not afraid to sign an autograph or, you know, shake a hand or bring people into the winner's circle and allow them to experience it. And uh, that really came through in the episode talking about that. That's great. Yeah. I think need, I think all parts of the equine industry need to have a little more of that. Agreed. The next clip comes from episode 58 with Kat Gunther. Uh, Kat is a very young entrepreneur. She works at a startup, a really, really smart young woman who reached out to me on LinkedIn to ask me about equestrian business women. Love that about her. Love that she was 
uh, putting herself out there and asking great questions. And I was so impressed with her. I said, we need to have her on the podcast and kind of you know, dig a little deeper into somebody who's so young and what makes her tick and, you know, where she's headed in life. So this is um, a nice little clip from Kat. I just had a big presence on Facebook. I still do. Um, which was always funny because in high school, people would be like, why is Kat on Facebook? That's an old person app. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, I'm making money. Don't judge me. <laughs> I was actually thinking that at one point. I, I know like, I did wow, too. She's so young. You, <laughs> you were like, she has this huge audience on Facebook. And I'm like, how old is she? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. wow, okay. that's, that's, that's where the buyers are. I mean, I have an Instagram yeah. as well with a few thousand followers, but teenagers don't usually have the money to drop $600 on a show shirt. So right. it's that a little bit older audience that mm-hmm. is like, you know, I'm going to get this shirt for my daughter. So yeah. that's why Facebook is a better spot for that range. Yeah, totally makes sense. I think oftentimes we think of people who can contribute to the podcast as people who are much older and have built a business or have, um, you know, some experience in the corporate world. And I learned a lot from Kat. Yeah. <laughs> I think that being young um, and seeing that perspective and being open to it really helped me like think, wow, there are so many other ways to, um, to get what you want or, you know, go about doing it. And so I really love that about her. I love how she has um, developed a product and her and her dad did it over COVID and it's called the rap star and it's patented. And so that's super impressive. Her following on Facebook with hundreds of thousands of followers um, for her other business beyond the bit. I mean, it's just, it was so innovative the way she created that, 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 that was so impressive to me. And I was like, this girl, she's going places. Right. And I love um, her obvious entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, she did it because her parents wouldn't pay for her to horse show. So she had to find a way to make the money in order to support, um, you know, her love of the sport and, and competing. And she was able to get to some of the biggest shows in the country. I mean, she did Congress and, um, youth world show and, um, yeah you're right she's she was impressive and but so relatable so easy to talk to really funny um the other clip that I was going to choose was the one where we talked about like she does everything out of a parent uh uh a room in her parents' house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And she and she puts together the rap star and sends it out. Like she mm. collects it. Like she has dedication. And um you don't see that a lot in younger people these days of that uh dedication and just um pushing through and just doing it, like rolling up her sleeves and getting dirty and is like, I oh, know I'm gonna make this work. And um she I have to tell you, I've introduced her to some other people and every single person has been like, wow, she's so impressive. I'd like her to mentor my daughter. I, you know, like she's going places. Everybody is so impressed by her because she is, she's relatable. She's funny. She's young. And she's just like going to go get the world. And I I think that's great. Yep. I, I really enjoyed talking to her and, 
I can't wait to see where she goes in the future. I know. I'm excited about her future for her. (laughs) Our final clip comes from our final episode of the year with Kelly Giordano of Avenue Equestrian. We spoke with her about leadership and how one can become a better leader, uh, as well as business strategy. And I think it was one of our favorite episodes of the year because of what we learned, the conversation that we had, and we just really enjoyed having uh, this talk with Kelly. So we hope you enjoy this clip. So I I think everybody can be taught to be a good leader. You have to be willing to listen. Um, You're going to get some hard feedback and it's going to hurt sometimes. Uh, One of my favorite bosses, who's an incredible leader, uh, gave me some feedback and I just bawled. I just like, I had to go for like a walk around the building because I I was crying so hard. (laughs) I couldn't breathe. But it was some of the most transformative feedback I ever got in my life. And that was to be a little less emotional in meetings. I had been in a meeting with a VP and she was saying things that I didn't agree with. And my face could not contain itself. And I was a junior employee and she was the VP of a really big company. And it was super disrespectful. And so it's not that I was wrong, right? My facts were correct, but it was my response to that, which was incorrect. And with that, you know, I think, there's room to express yourself in a leadership position, but you have to be pretty mindful of when and how you express yourself and if it's actually worth it to express yourself with emotion in a way. And usually it's not, right? Um, you know, I am a very expressive and a very emotional person. But when it comes to business and when you want people to really hear what you're saying, you have to take the emotion out of it and you have to tactfully communicate what you're trying to say in a way that the other person can receive it. And if your emotions are too big or you're too expressive, all of that is going to go away and you're not going to get your point across. And you're actually just going to look a little bit like a lunatic. You're going to look a little unhinged or you're going to look disrespectful. And so that was so hard. I I thought about it for weeks. I still, right, it's been almost, gosh, almost 10 years since I received that feedback. And it is something that so clearly sticks with me and was such a transformative moment. But I needed to be receptive to that. I respected her a ton and I knew that she was giving me that feedback because she knew I could be better. And so surrounding yourself with people who will invest in you in that way is is huge. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. I've had some really uncomfortable conversations with people that I wanted to learn from. Another kind of funny anecdote is that I had this spin instructor that she was amazing and would like get me out of bed at 8 a.m. on a Saturday when I was like in my early 20s in New York City. So like Clearly, I had been out very late the night before, and she was just so inspiring that I'd get up at 8 a.m. and and take her spin class, and I I loved her so much, and so I kind of stalked her for a long time, and then I got all my courage together, and I said, can I take you for a coffee? I really want to learn from you, and to this day, 10 years later, she is one of my best friends. She was at my wedding. I still, she's still a mentor of mine, helped me get Avenue Equestrian off the ground, and she gives me some tough love. We had a call last week, and she handed it to me, and I was like, sugar, you're so right. (laughs) And I have to listen to you. Uh, But she's made me better. And there's a lot of uncomfortable moments, but she I know that she loves me and has my best interest at heart. And so it's things like that, that if you want to be a good leader, you can absolutely learn it. You have to be so invested in yourself and so invested in getting that skill in order to be uncomfortable and make it through that uncomfortability to to come out on the other side. I don't know about you, but Especially in that clip, especially and throughout different parts of Kelly's episode, made me 
uh, very self-aware and uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I can think back to times in my life where I either was a bad communicator or a bad leader or I made incorrect decisions. Um, and I'm not sure that I always learned from them for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think I can look back now and and recognize my mistakes and and be the type of person who will try not to make those again or I'm trying to improve on things. So, um, but I wasn't always that person. And um, like she said, it it does take a lot of hard work and and working on yourself in order to be better in business and be a better leader. Um, so that I think that was another reason why this episode stuck with us so much. Yeah, I had the same feelings and I just immediately went back to so many scenarios that I was like, oh yeah, I could have done better. I, I could have been better. I mean, I identify with her. My face says a lot, a lot of times. Oh my gosh, me too. It's a very hard thing to control. But, yes. um, you know, I said it in the episode, I've had somebody tell me that I needed to have better control of my emotions. Not in that nicely. It was more like, hey, you need a thicker skin. Um, and I didn't know how to take that when I was younger. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I do. Um, and it's, it is, it's uncomfortable, but I just, I loved everything about that episode when she was talking about strategy and I'm thinking of all these things that I do in my life that I was like, I need that for this. I need that. I need her for this. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, I was like, gosh, she's so right about so many different things. Um, in, in building a strategy and where you want to go with your company and, you know, being the leader of a company that I, I just loved that episode. Like, I think it tied up the whole year for us. Um, that episode was really a good one to kind of end on in 2023. Yeah. And I look forward to what we're going to do in the coming year. Oh, me too. I mean, I think that we're so privileged to have all these ladies on the podcast. And I mean, even though we only get to spend like an hour with them at so many, I'm like, Oh man, I wish we had three hours or I know a day to spend with them because I just feel like I'm, I'm learning so much and about myself and um, you know, different ways to do things that it just, it's so beneficial. Right. And half of them, I'm like, I wish you lived nearby so we could be friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we just go for coffee? <laughs> Let's exactly. just go for coffee once a week, please. I know. Um, I mean, that's the great part of doing the podcast. It's also kind of the hard part of it, of doing it, um, is that we can't be closer to a lot of these people who we really connect with. Right. And I think, um, you know, just looking back at 2023 as a whole, um, I, I'm proud of what we have accomplished. I think I said yeah. this last year probably too. But, you know, this started kind of on a whim. And for us to be 60 episodes in and to, you know, have to keep it going and to be able to fit this into our lives and make it an important part of what we do um, 
means a lot. And so, you know, we do get feedback from people that they love listening or it's helped them. Um, and that means even more, you know, it, it would be one thing if we were just doing it for the two of us. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And while it does help us, you know, the yeah. fact that other people get enjoyment or um, or learn something from it means a lot too. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's, yeah, it's cool. It's cool that we're starting to be recognized as, you know, people that they can turn to or a podcast that's being recommended to them. I mean, I think that it's, I'm really proud of it. I think that my family I know doesn't listen to this. And I think it's so funny because they have no idea. It's like this secret world of mine that like people Ew. actually people actually listen into us. And I, and I love that. And I love our listeners for that. And I want to thank them for, you know, going along on this ride with us because we've really pushed our boundaries over the past couple of years to do this. And um, I'm proud of it. And I'm proud of you. <laughs> Same here, Connor. Thanks. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, looking into 2024, we have the networking branch in Wellington coming up soon. Um, you know, we have other ideas of of how to grow. Um but I would really, I think, set a goal for us in 2024 to continue finding diverse voices, um, whether that's diversity in the sport that they do, um, diversity in the traditional sense, um, uh, you know, finding lots of different people who can share their stories and their experiences and you know, just make it even better. Yeah. And network because um, I think that the more people that we find from different places and the more collaborations that can happen out of it, uh, the better it is. And I agree. That's a great goal for 2024. We're going to wrap up today's episode and you can find the links to the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go revisit old episodes. <laughs> 